All right, who knows the artist that did that song? Lady Gaga, I got it over here, Lady Gaga. And the name of it is um, Applause. And the main line is just, I live for the applause. And here's why we opened with that song is because so many of us live for things like applause and expect them to fulfill us and satisfy us. And they never do. And that's kind of where we're going today. I want to thank you for joining us this morning at Kensington. My name is Kevin Valentine. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, there's a, something I'd like to ask you to do if you're new or you're here for the first time or two. We'd love to get connected with you. And if you want to connect with us, there's a real easy way to do it. Take your program, fill it out here, tear it off, put it in the offering later, and we'll get you connected via email to all the incredible stuff going on around here. And I want to highlight a few. Um, first off, coming up here real soon, we've got a back-to-school breakfast. Now, this is what I want to ask for all of you students in the room. How many of you are excited about going back to school? Okay, same as last service. There you go. Now, for the parents of students, how many of you are excited that school's starting in a couple weeks? See? That's what I thought. That's the way it works. I'm excited as well. Well, on the first day of school, August 12th, we are having a back-to-school breakfast. If you'd like to come over to our 246 facility in Winter Garden behind Four Rivers, we're going to have coffee and donuts for you after you drop your kids off. Um, if you need to cry on somebody's shoulder, our K-Kids director will be there. If you need to celebrate and run around and uh, high-five people, our student ministries person will be there. And we'd love to just give you coffee and donuts and spend a little bit of time with you and celebrate the beginning of school and the kickoff of school. Also, um, one of our partners is Dillard Elementary School, um, where there's just a number of families there that just kind of need a helping hand. And so one of the ways we do that at the beginning of every school year is we collect school supplies, which we are currently in the process of doing. If you'd like to know what those are, you can go on our website and uh, look for school supplies. And uh, there's a list there of what Dillard Elementary School needs, and that we give that to the school and the teachers. But also, Coming up, uh, let's see, it is August 5th. We're going to be packing 50 to 60 backpacks full of school supplies to give to students that are also in need that don't have backpacks of their own. And we'd love for you to help us come and stuff those and put those together on August 5th, 10 a.m. to 12. Um, and we're going to be doing that, This, I think that's uh, not this next Monday, but the following Monday. We'd love for you to be a part of that and help us get those ready to, to give to, to those students before school starts. And then lastly, we're going to be holding auditions for anybody that plays an instrument or sings um, for our music team. And if you would like to audition, you can go online and click on events and you can sign up online. Those auditions are going to be August 15th from 5 to 9 p.m. And we would love you, even, even if it's like, man, I haven't played in years, but you'd still like to audition and come be a part of our team. We also have plenty of people that will help get you better at the instrument or the voice that you have. We'll help you get better at that so that you can get to the, to, to the kind of playing and the kind of level that, that we'd love to have you and, and be a part of our team on Sunday morning. So um, you can sign up for that online. Um, now, with that, we are in week five of our series, Road Trip. And um, today, our stop on our road trip where we're following 10 stops that Jesus made during his ministry. Today, we're going to be talking about a meeting he had with a woman at the well. Now, before we get into that story, I want to invite you to stand up and say hello to some people around you um, and do what we call the Kensington Crunch. So say hello and tell them what is the best part of your summer so far.
I'm a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I'm a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast your judgmental glances, but you don't take the time to look at me or get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And otherwise, what is the point of doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look me in my face and see more than just two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears. But to see all of me and all that I could be, all of my hopes, loves, fears, but that's too much to hope for, to wish for, to pray for. So I don't, not anymore. Now I keep it to myself. And by that, I mean the pain. The pain that keeps me in my own private jail. The pain that has brought me here at midday to this well. To ask of a drink is no big deal. But to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, outcast of failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning. And as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You are a man of no distinction, but of the utmost importance. A man of, of little reputation, at least so far. You whisper to me and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about. You take the time to look at me, but you don't need to get to know me. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And you know me. You actually know me. All of me. Everything about me. Almost every thought inside, every hair on the top of my head, every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread, all of my past and future, you know all that I am and could be. You tell me everything. You tell me about me. That which is spoken from another would certainly bring hate and condemnation Coming from you, it brings love, mercy, grace, hope, salvation. I have heard of one who was to come to save a wretch like me. And now here in my presence, you say, I am he. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. This is, I must run back to town. This is way too much just for me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, the sinners and the saints, who, who need to see what you've shown me, to hear what you told me, who needs to taste what you gave me, and to feel how you forgave me. 
To be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. They all need it. We all do. We need it for our own. You know, what's been great about this series is every person that Jesus interacted with during his time on this earth, every interaction he had, every experience that someone had with Jesus changed them, it transformed them. And today, the interaction we're going to be talking about is where Jesus finds himself in a place that in the ancient world many thought Jesus wouldn't go, many thought Jesus shouldn't go. We find him at a well meeting with the kind of woman that Jewish men and Jewish rabbis um, don't meet with, shouldn't meet with. And as we heard in that spoken word piece we just listened to, that interaction that took place was life-changing for that woman. And it was also life-changing for the town that she was from, as we'll find out. One of the things I hope that we see together today is that the way that Jesus looks at people, the way that he sees people, and the way that he sees us is different than many of us think he sees when he looks at us. So let me pray for us before we jump in. Um, Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and the stories that are told around your life, Lord, that we might learn and grow by seeing how you interact with people that are, that are really just like us. God, there's a reason why the people, um, why we are sitting in the seats we're sitting in today, Lord, you have brought us here to hear a word from you. And God, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds so that we can hear specifically what you have for us this morning. God, help us to hear your voice and respond um, as you speak. And so, Lord, I give to you the next, the next hour of our time and just ask that you would use it as you will in your holy name. Amen. So um, there's a lot to unpack in this story. I want to give you three truths out of this story that I believe will impact all of us, um, not just today, but moving forward in our lives. And so let me, um, let me just kind of set a little bit of the scene. The story begins with Jesus traveling through a place called Samaria, and he stops at Jacob's Well, which is a place you can go find right now in Israel today. You can go visit this site where Jacob's Well is. And so let me begin by jumping into the text um, to get us set up for, for where we're going to go today. John 4, verse 6, Jacob's Well was there in Samaria where Jesus was. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food, and the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. That's an important part of the story. Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, let me set the scene that's happening here. First off, um, you can find out really early that this woman is at this well at 12 o'clock in the middle of the day. Um, and uh, according to customs and the culture of the day, noon was not when you went to the well. You actually went to the well to get water um, early in the morning and then again in the evening because it was usually too hot in the middle of the day. 
So what happens is we know that this woman is there at noon. The question we ask is why? Why would she be there at noon? Well, she most likely didn't want to run into people from the town because of the way that she was treated. And what we'll find out is they knew her past and they looked down on her because of it. So she stayed away from people and people stayed away from her. So right off the bat, we can kind of get a sense of where this woman's coming from. There's a sense of loneliness that she's hiding and that she's avoiding people. So she comes to this well expecting to be alone, and there's Jesus, a Jew, and not only a Jew, but a rabbi is sitting there. Now, this is a huge deal in this part of the world, and I'll explain that to you. Jesus, uh, Jews had a major problem with Samaritans. And there's a simple reason why. Hundreds of years before, the Assyrians had overtaken Israel, and they settled in Samaria. Uh, Assyrians were non-Jews. They were Gentiles. And what happened when they settled their race in Samaria, they started intermarrying with the Jews there and created this race of Samaritans, they were called, who were really considered half-breeds. They were considered an impure race. They were hated by the Jews. They were despised. And if you were a Jew... You didn't associate with Samaritans. In fact, you went around, you went away at, from them at all costs. If they were, if you had to be on the same road and they were coming down, you went across on the other side of the road. And basically, what it reminds me a little bit of is our, our biggest rival when I was in when I was growing up in high school. I grew up in Texas, Groves, Texas, and uh, my high school was called Port Natchez Groves, Texas High School. Um, uh, and and we basically was such small towns. They took Port Natchez and they took Groves and put them together to create a high school. And so. That was my high school. PNG is what we called it. Our mascot was the Indians. Our biggest rival was the Nederland Bulldog. Nederland was about a half hour away. We hated them. I don't know why. It was just kind of handed down to me. Um, but I learned why. Um, my junior year of high school, some of the people from Nederland Bulldogs actually came over. And we had this really huge totem pole in our like main meeting area at our high school. And it was like all the things happened around it. That's where the band played in the morning during pep rallies. And that's what, like it was a big meeting place. Well, they actually came over and cut down our totem pole. Like right, right during one night and during the school year, cut down our totem pole. And so we came up the next morning and there was just a nub right above the ground, and we still did. We couldn't find out what they did with the totem pole. Now we rebuilt the totem pole made out of metal, so that wouldn't happen again, which I thought was kind of funny. But so we, in return, because we hated Nederland bulldogs, we actually went and kidnapped their actual bulldog, and we hung it from our totem pole. Okay. Now, I know some of you are going, oh my gosh, you killed the dog. We didn't kill the dog. It was hung. It had a halter, but it was hanging from the totem pole for, I think, about 8 to 12 hours. Poor dog. I know it's terrible, but they took down our totem pole. We had to get them back. So you hated people from Nederland. If you saw anybody with a Nederland letter jacket on, there were fights going on all the time just because of the, 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 the letter you wore on your chest. They were our arch rivals. So that was kind of like this, but not really. It's just I wanted to kind of say, hey, you know what I'm talking about, where you just hate people because you hate them, and there's really no reason behind it. This is kind of one of those deals. They hated, the, the Jews hated the Samaritans because they were just different. It was generational. It was handed down. And honestly, it's more like the generational hatred that's going on between Jews and Palestinians today. Um, Jews thought so low of the Samaritans that they would not even travel through their part of Israel. And so to show you this, I have some maps here. So uh, let me just show you. Here's a map. You can have a look at this. Um, all right, so this is a map of Israel in the time this story happens. You can see a small body of water. The Sea of Galilee is the top one. And then you see a, a much larger body of water in the south. That is the Dead Sea. So Jesus and his disciples, they were in Judea to the south. 
And around there is Bethlehem. Uh, they're, they're right there. Around there is Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And they were headed to here, which is Galilee to the north. Now, right in the middle, here you have Samaria, okay? That's Samaria. The Jews, they did not travel through Samaria. In fact, rather than travel through Samaria from Judea to Galilee, the Jews would actually cross the Jordan River and go around Samaria on the other side of it like that, which basically meant an added three days to their journey. So think about hating somebody so much that you would take three days out of your life to journey around just where they lived. So if you were a Jew, you did not go around Samaria. If you did, your reputation was toast, which means Jesus did what? Went the shortest way. He went straight through the middle. He didn't care. He shows up in Samaria, went right where you weren't supposed to go. For the disciples, they had probably never been to this part of Israel. Chances are um, they were, they, they, it was all new territory, so they were out buying food. Jesus sits down to take a rest because it's hot, and he meets the woman at the well. And you have this incredible moment where Jesus shows this woman something that she probably hadn't been shown in a really long time in her life. He shows her acceptance. He actually looks her in the eye and talks to her like she's a person, which reveals something really important about Jesus. This is one of the great things about him. Every other Jewish person would have avoided meeting her, would have avoided talking to her um, because they cared too much about their reputation. But Jesus' reputation was kind of as controversial as you could get already. Um, but what Jesus didn't care about was his reputation. What he did care about was her. He just cared about her. He acknowledges her existence. He talks to her. He shows her honor. And on top of that, he asks her to help him. And the question is, why? Well, it's our first truth for today. It's because Jesus always looks beyond the fault and sees the need. Jesus always looks beyond our faults and sees our needs. And I know there's some of you in here, and the way you approach God is as if he doesn't accept you. The way you approach God is as if all he sees are your faults, and all he sees are your warts, and all he sees are your mistakes. And, you know, some of you, maybe you walked in here and you just went, okay, I really thought the building was going to come down because I walked in a church and it's been so long. Or I thought lightning would strike me and anyone within 10 feet of me. But here's what you need to know. Um, you, you know, there's no way that God's going to look at you uh, and, and accept you. Um, this is what some of you think, but that couldn't be further from the truth because the bottom line is, is he does. He loves you. He knows you. He accepts you. That's the great news about Jesus is when he looks at every single one of us, he doesn't look at the offenses that you've made towards him. He looks beyond the offense and he sees the needs of the offender. He, needs, he sees the needs that some of us don't even know we have. And this is why this is such a huge deal. Jesus going to that woman and showing her honor and respect and treating her like a person. What that says to you is that every time you and I go to God, every single time we go to God, he doesn't see our sins. He doesn't see our mistakes. He doesn't see our weaknesses. He actually looks beyond our faults and he sees the needs of our soul. That's what he sees when he looks at you. He sees your needs. He doesn't see the list of things that you might keep in your head of all the bad stuff and all the reasons why you, you need forgiveness and all the things that you've done that God won't accept you. He actually looks past those and sees the needs of your soul. To me, I think that's pretty good news, don't you? So Jesus going to that woman and showing her honor and respect and treating her like a person, 
reminds us that God looks beyond our faults and sees our needs for forgiveness, reconciliation, and relationship. And I think on top of that, what struck me this morning is I felt like God wasn't just saying that to remember that he sees me that way when he looks at me, that he looks beyond my faults and sees my needs. I felt like he was saying to me and maybe saying to some of you that we need to see other people like he sees them. We need to look beyond their faults and see their needs. Because I know for me, sometimes all I see are faults. And I miss the fact that every one of us has needs that need to be met that are more important than our faults. So I felt like God, even this morning, was just going, Kevin, you need to see other people this way. And I'm like, okay, I will take that um, and really look at having more compassion and more forgiveness and more empathy towards people. Because that's what Jesus does when he looks at me. He goes beyond my faults and sees my needs. So let's get back to the story. Um, Jesus, he doesn't just talk to her. He actually, um, in this interaction, he offers her something that she desperately longs for um, and that you and I do too. John 4, verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And it's kind of like she still has a little bit of an attitude, doesn't she? She's like going, she's like going kind of, who do you think you are, God or something? You know, and I see Jesus going, well, okay, we'll talk about that later. Um, but it's kind of one of those moments where she's just got this edge. Why? Because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan and we don't talk. And so Jesus says, I'll give you water, living water. And she's like, oh, so you're better than Jacob. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And that sounds really, really good to her, but she doesn't quite get it yet. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Like, like she's really going there. Like the, She's just not quite there yet because Jesus is alluding to something much deeper than her physical need for water. He's actually transitioned to speaking about something spiritual that is a need in her life. What she does know is that she's sitting with a man that somehow looks beyond her faults and her reputation, which we haven't quite figured out yet. He's actually looking beyond her nationality, and he sees her as a human, human being, and he ascribes worth and value to her. He gives her grace. What's interesting is the place where this conversation is happening is really important to the story. I have, I have friends who have actually been to this well in Jerusalem. Um, it's not in Jerusalem. It's in Israel. You can actually go and see this well. You can see Jacob's well, um, the physical place where Jesus was when this story happened. And what they say um, is they say that Jacob's well is the deepest well in Israel, and uh, you can pour water from the top, and it takes seven seconds before it hits the bottom. That literally is you start pouring, and it's like one, two, three, four five, six, seven. It's finally hitting. That's how deep this well is. The water is from the surrounding mountaintops. It's from snow-capped mountain peaks, and it is ice cold. And so here's the context of this well, because it's important to what Jesus is saying. 
If you're in Israel, it's 120 degrees. If you're in the sun in Israel, you are literally about to burst into flames, period. That's literally what's happening. Um, we think August is hot here. August and September, we complain and we whine. Um, no, it's 120 degrees. The difference between heat and shade is life and death. And it's so hot. It's hot, especially if you're traveling because you're in dust and heat all day long. So imagine being in 120 degree heat, no refrigeration, hasn't been invented yet, and you have available a place where you can get ice cold water. Now, tell me how good ice-cold water is after you've been out mowing your yard in the middle of the day in the summer, if you do that. Imagine the source of life this well represents in the area. This is the biggest source of life in the whole country of Israel. It's the deepest, most impressive well with the coldest water representing life. And Jesus is saying this. This well, this water that represents the, the greatest source of life in Israel is nothing compared to what I offer. He's looking at her and saying, this is nothing. It can't quench your deepest thir thirst. I can. I can meet your deepest need. I can satisfy your deepest longing. This is nothing compared to the source of life that I'm offering you in this moment. And I have to believe that if, if this were happening today, Jesus would take whatever it is that you see as a source of life for you. So just think about whatever it is that you really feel like fills you up in your life, that you look forward to every day, that you long for. Maybe it's a relationship that you have going on, or it's your children, or it's your career, um, or it's your grandkids, whatever that is for you that you use to try and fulfill the deepest longings and needs in your life. Jesus would point to that and say, that is nothing compared to what I offer you. That doesn't even come close to what I'm offering you in this moment. So many of us, we feel the, we fill the God-shaped void hole in our, soul, in our soul with stuff other than God. It's like we have needs that demand fulfillment. We go out, we search to fulfill those things. We fill the emptiness with people and things, external things, whatever we can find to fill the hole in our soul. And so Jesus kind of starts talking about that with this lady. He digs a little deeper into this woman's life. Verse 16, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, to which I insert, insert sarcastic Jesus there and go, no, duh. <laughs> but now we start getting an idea why this woman's at the well at noon when no one else was there. It's because she has gone through all the pain and the hurt of broken relationships and divorce five times. She's probably living with this guy that she's with now because and hasn't married him because she just can't bear another failure on her record. Because of what had happened in her life, probably some of the choices that she made and choices other people have made, it made her an outcast from her com community. You just didn't do that in first century Israel. Needless to say, she's not very good at relationships, is she? It's just a struggle. On the surface, she's just going to get water. She looks just like everybody else, but deep down, you start hearing the tremendous pain and the heartache in her past and even in her current circumstances. This woman has been trying to find fulfillment in men. It's just the reality of this story. She's been looking to the horizontal marriage-type romantic relationship to fill her deepest need through a man. And Jesus is basically saying to her, 
every time you go drink that, every time you go to that well, you will thirst again. It will dry up. It will not deliver. But if you come to the source of life, I will fill you up with living water to the point where it will bubble up from within you and you will never need to go to an external source for water again, for life again. Now, what does that mean? It means that nothing on this earth will ever truly satisfy you. Nothing on this earth, no relationship, no number in your bank account, no career, no house, no car, no achievement will satisfy the desire and the need that is in your soul. Our ache inside is spiritual in nature, and it requires a spiritual solution. You cannot fill the spiritual ache in your soul with something that is not spiritual, with something that is physical, that is man-made, that is external. It can only come from, this, from something spiritual. C.S. Lewis, Christian theologian, wrote a ton of books, um, brilliant mind. I can only read like a paragraph of his writing at a time because I'm just not that smart, okay? He's like brilliant. But this is what he writes. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, something supernatural and eternal. Blaise Pascal, another great mind and theologian thinker of, uh, in our past, said there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus. If you continue to look to a person, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, child, boss, parent, or any other created thing to give you life, you will always be disappointed at some point. You will always be thirsty again. The only answer to the needs of our soul is to go vertical. It's just vertical. Jesus is what you're looking for. If you're looking for fulfillment, go vertical. If you're a Christian and you're just like, man, I just am struggling right now. I've got issues going on and I don't really know what's going on in my life. Things just don't feel right. Go vertical. It's so simple yet profound, and this is our second truth, and I want to give it to you. I made it rhyme, so maybe you'll remember it, um, but it's this. To quench your thirst, go vertical first. To quench your thirst, go vertical first. Until you and I get our vertical right with our relationship with God, the horizontal can't work right. It will always be broken. There will always be dysfunction in it because this isn't correct. When this isn't right, we will keep going to the horizontal relationships for something God never designed them to give us. The other person in your life is not the source of living water that we long for. And I'll just tell you, Melissa, my wife, as perfect as she is, she cannot satisfy the longing in my soul. She's not equipped to. She's not designed to fulfill that. Only God is revealed through Jesus Christ. We can't hear this enough. Another car, a bigger house, a new zip code, six-figure income, seven-figure income. Having a child, having grandkids cannot fulfill the longings of your soul. But when you go vertical first, when I go vertical first and see God as my source for life, I can keep Melissa from carrying the crushing weight of fulfilling in me needs that she can't. When I go vertical first and I get my needs fulfilled by God and there's a, there's a spring bubbling up inside of me of life, of true life, of fulfillment and hope and happiness and joy, when this coming from inside of me, then I don't have to lean on people, my wife, my kids to fill me up with that stuff. In fact, I can actually fill them up as much as I possibly can. 
The secret, I'll just give you a secret to our horizontal human relationships is to go vertical first to Jesus. And I'll just tell you, when Melissa and I are having problems and she isn't meeting my needs, I go vertical. I go vertical first. I go to God and say, God, fill me up because this stuff isn't doing it and there's something just missing. You know, regularly I ask God to fill me up with the joy of his Holy Spirit from inside of me. I go, God, don't help me find joy in the things outside of me right now. I'm connected to you. Give me what you promise you'll give if I come to you and fill me up from the inside out so I have a sense of being satisfied on a soul level. I want to make sure this is right so that this can be going right. And I'll just tell you, those of you who are followers of Jesus, and maybe right now you're having issues happening in your life um, relationally, um, you're having trouble feeling satisfied, you're having trouble with contentment, with joy, with hope, um, check your vertical. Are you connected with God? Are you finding your source of life from Him? Or have you started finding your source of life from things which weren't ever created to fulfill that longing in your soul? So in our story, Jesus goes straight for her heart. He identifies what this woman is really thirsty for. The longing in her soul that needs to be quenched is for is her need to be loved. That is what she needs. And he gets to that through bringing up probably the one thing she didn't want to talk about, the one source of pain in her whole life, her failed relationships, her lack of fulfillment in them. So he goes right to that. And you can tell she doesn't want to talk about it because she keeps changing the subject. If you go back and read it, she just keeps going, boom. Hey, let's not talk about it. Let's talk about this over here because I don't mind talking about this. Um, it's kind of like we do when someone presses on us something that we don't want to talk about or that reveals a weakness or something in us that we don't like. We kind of tend, um, tend to shift the conversation's focus. Well, Jesus keeps the conversation on what she needs first, needs most. We're going to skip a few verses um, where they talk about uh, worship and religion. And, and then we get to this point where Jesus literally drops a bombshell on her in this conversation. Jesus does something for the very first time in scripture that it is shocking that the person that he said this to was this woman, an outcast, shunned Samaritan woman. John 4, 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am who? The Messiah. This is how huge this is. He hadn't even told his disciples this yet. They had their suspicions. But this is astounding that Jesus chose to reveal his true identity to this Samaritan woman at this well. And in that moment, you know what he does? He addresses her greatest need. Every single one of us on the planet, we were created with three primary needs to be known, to be loved, and to be valued. We all carry those with us every single day of our life. And we long for someone to know us, to love us, and to value us. And Jesus gave her all three. He lets her know that she is known. He knows everything about her. He knows her with all of her faults, and he's still talking to her, and he lets her know that he loves her because he cares for her as a person, as a human being. He is looking her in the eye and treating her with honor and respect, and he's offering her living water. And We know that he's giving her value by talking to her, even though she's a Samaritan woman of ill repute, and he's honoring her by telling her one of the biggest secrets of the day and that, that he is the Messiah. He told her his true identity. Why? With the Messiah, the most important person on the planet, direct so much attention and time, 
to one person who doesn't deserve it. The same reason he does for you and I. The same reason he does for you and I. Because you and I are valuable to him. We're that valuable. In Jesus, he gives her acceptance and love and value. And in this moment, she realizes that she has just received the one thing that truly was at the core of her deepest longings. She just received water that can quench the thirst of her soul, and she'll never be thirsty in that way again. And I'll just tell you this, when you have a relationship with Jesus, you are connected to the source of living water that can fulfill the longings of your soul on a daily basis. And here's the thing, Jesus, the relationship with Jesus, Jesus never promises to make your life all puppies and rainbows every day of your life. That's just not a promise of his. What he does promise is that when things do fall apart, because they will, whether you're a Christian or not, he promises, he says, I will be right there with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will always be there to fulfill and fill up the needs of your soul on a regular basis. And it all comes from this truth. This last truth that I'm going to share with you, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're at in life, what socioeconomic level you are on, how rich or poor you are, how many failed relationships you have in your rearview mirror, whether you acknowledge God or not, because I know there's some of you in here that you don't even know if God is real, whether you are a seeker here and you're seeking God or you're seeking Jesus, whether you're a longtime believer or you're brand new to faith, you need to hear today right where you're at this third truth, and that is this, you are fully known and fully loved by Jesus, just period. Let that sink in. You are fully known by Jesus. He knows everything about you. He knows the thoughts you're having right this moment. He knows everything that's on your list of all the things that you need forgiveness for. And he loves you. He knows your story just like he did the woman at the well. He knows every hair on your head. They are numbered. And he's already spoken and told you how loved you are. Jesus has already died on the cross, past tense, to say, I love you so much, I'm willing to give up my life for you that you might have eternal life with me, that you might have a connection with me spiritually, with the source of life. And before we um, move on, we're going to just just hit the pause button. And I, I want you to listen to a song in a moment. We're going to receive our offering um, before you listen to this song. Um, so ushers, if you guys can come on down, and I know that might feel a little abrupt, but I think over the next few moments, we're going to just kind of wrap up this message in a moment where I really hope that God will, will bless you. But um, for those of you that are new, I want you to let the basket go by. We're really grateful that you're here. This service is our gift to you. Um, for those of you uh, that are uh, regular attenders of Kensington, this is where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. And we just say, we say, thank you. But here's what I want to happen over the next couple of minutes. Um, this song is a reminder of just how loved we are and how important we are to God. It's an acknowledgement that Jesus knows and loves you. And, and maybe you're uh, a follower of Christ and maybe you're sitting here going, yeah, yeah, I, I know this. You know, I've heard this a lot before. Um, but here's my question to you. When is the last time that you just sat back and let the reality of that just wash over you? When's the last time you took time out of your busy schedules and I took time out of my busy schedule to just let God speak, speak a truth that is so deep and so profound that it literally can impact you for the rest of your life on this earth and for the rest of eternity after your life on this earth is over. Over the next few minutes, I want you to experience that truth through this song and let God's love and acceptance just wash over you.
that song on the radio at a time when I'm able to just receive it. And gosh, just the truth of that just puts a settledness in my soul of just realizing that no matter what I do, God just knows me and loves me. And I know that maybe there's some, some of you in this room and you've never accepted God's love. You've never just embraced him and invited Jesus into your life. And, and, you know, he's been tugging at your heart. He's been pressing. He's been pushing and nudging. And you've been resisting. Or maybe it just wasn't time. But maybe today is your time, your day to step across the line of faith. So I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Because when you finally realize that you are fully known and loved by God. And that he has already sent his son Jesus to prove it to you. When you accept that truth, it changes everything. 
And so if today's your day where you respond to that gentle nudge or that whisper by the Holy Spirit that just says, this is your day, this is for you, I want to give you the opportunity to accept Jesus right now. And so if everybody in here, if you would bow your head and close your eyes with me, and you can just make my words yours, say them from your heart to God. You don't have to say them out loud, but maybe say something like this, God, thank you for knowing me and loving me. I want to be transformed today. I want to drink from a well that'll never run dry. God, I believe that you sent Jesus here to die on the cross, to pay for my sins, and that he rose again three days later, defeating death. And so, God, today, I invite Jesus into my life. Please forgive me for my sin. Help me live a different kind of life. Because today, I surrender my life to you. Fill up the longings of my soul. Help me to go to you on a regular basis for the needs that are deep inside of me and help me grow in my new faith. In your holy name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I just want to ask you to do two things. One is, would you tell somebody? Would you tell the person that invited you or someone in your family that you know have been, has been praying for you? And would you tell us, would you stop at the starting point area out there and just say, hey, I prayed today at the end of service and we'd love to give you a Bible and help you see how we can come alongside and just help you grow in your new faith because we're excited about it. And I'll just tell you what scriptures say is that every time one person accepts Jesus, that there is a party thrown in heaven because it's one more soul that just uh, has an eternity that's, that's stamped in the book of life that will be spending eternity in heaven with God and with Jesus. And so we're going to close out the rest of our service by just singing a couple of songs in response. And I want to encourage you over the next few minutes to do business with God. If that's kind of where you're at, do business over the next few minutes with God. Um, as the words uh, get, get to the point where you're ready to sing them, I want to encourage you to sing and sing out loud. Nobody cares what you sound like next to them. It's just really this is a time between you and God to pour your heart out to him and to use our voices to sing his praises. So would you stand up with me? And I'm going to turn it over to the band as they lead us.
imagine being able, no matter what is going on in your external circumstances, to have access to draw from, to find hope, to find forgiveness, to find truth, to find a joy in you, no matter what's going on around you, that's what Jesus offers. He says it doesn't matter what's going on in your external circumstances, you have access to an internal source of all the things you long for to draw from. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that is what Jesus says you have access to. Are you living in that? Are you living like that right now? You can walk out of here today accessing that, that source of living water. And you don't have to live another day without it. And that's what I love about Jesus. Even in my, in my darkest days, in my sad days, when I wake up and I don't know what's wrong, you know I pray and I ask God, I'm like, God, would you just give me the joy of the Holy Spirit? Because for whatever reason today, I'm having a hard time finding it. And I love that about Jesus. And that's what I hope you walk out of here with is that you don't have to live every day like yesterday. You can live every day with the hope of Jesus in you. And so I want to tell you the rest of the story. That woman sitting with Jesus is so impacted. She literally looks at him and says, I need to go tell everybody about this. She goes back into town and she says, hey, I just met this man that told me everything about myself and you need to come hear from him. And he, she drags the town out to this well to see Jesus. And it says that they responded with such fervor and so many people accepted the truth Jesus was teaching that he stayed two days longer in that town teaching and healing and spending time with them. Meaning this, when you're truly tapped into the source of living water, you can't help but tell people about it. You can't help but to go and get friends and drag them to the place where you found truth and where you found hope and where you found life. And that is the commission that God gives to us who know him, is to go out and find those people who don't yet realize that the longing they're searching after and all of the external things they're living for right now can be found in Jesus Christ. You have the answer to that. Don't keep it to yourself. I love this woman. She's just like, I got to tell everybody. I pray that this week you would tell everybody because you have neighbors and friends and coworkers and family members that are literally empty because they haven't yet found the source of life and you have it. So please take it to them. Invite them. Bring them here. Let's fill this place up with people who need to know who Jesus is. We can bring people to the well. And I'll tell you, we don't have, we don't have much to offer, okay? Like we're, we're a good church and we'll give you everything we have, but that's nothing compared to the only thing that we truly have to offer that will satisfy and that will change eternity. And that is just Jesus Christ. That's it. You can be sure that if you bring somebody in these doors, they will meet Jesus Christ. They will hear about Jesus Christ and have an opportunity to follow him. And that's the best thing we could possibly offer anybody. That's the best thing you have to give to anybody in your life is Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite, invite you next week to come back, bring some people with you that need to drink from the well that gives living water, Jesus Christ. Um, and, uh, and, and as you go out from here, um, there's a couple people over here that would love to pray with you for anything that you need prayer for. And I look forward to seeing you next week, week six um, of our road trip series. And it's going to be a great one. You guys take care. We'll see you next week.